This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! You don't like that? You don't like NBA basketball! Welcome to another episode of All Nat, brought to you by OTS. I'm your host, Natalie, but most people call me Nat. And today I'm bringing back a friend to the show, Justin. He helped me debut All Nat this season. Um, many of you know him from the from the Twitter TL, um, the package JG. Is that it? I know your Twitter handle by heart. He is also my new partner in crime and helps me co-host Golden Spaces, which is every Wednesday um, at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitter. And good, exciting news. We're going to turn that into a podcast. I can't tell you a date, but it's coming soon. But if you missed it, because the recordings on Twitter... um, have only they're only available for like a month so after a month you can't access them but we have them now so we'll make those recordings into a podcast so if you don't catch us live you'll be able to tune in after the fact and for those who don't know what golden spaces is golden spaces um is a weekly check-in on the dubs the state of affairs just how things are going it gives the fan base a chance to release to to celebrate Um, We do get into some other teams around the league as well, Um, but it's just a really a check-in for for Dub Nation, and we do focus primarily on the Warriors, and we do that as a part of Twitter Spaces, which is like a a live combo. So you tap in, it's a space, a room, and we we talk hoops. So join us Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Justin is my co-host. He's great. And if you forgot how good he is from the first episode, you'll hear again today. So, Justin, thank you. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure, you know. So, just, you know, excited to talk hoops like we always do. Of course, of course. And Justin's a fellow Jamaican. Oh, y'all know I got my Jamaican bias. Okay. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. All right, so let's let's get it popping because there's a lot to discuss. So first of all, 
the Warriors continue to lose, Justin, and I don't think that we thought that was going to happen. So um, <laughs> what if we won, like, what, one in the last, I don't know how many games? Um, I want to say two out of the last ten we won. Two out of the last ten. So not good. <laughs> not good That's if you just look at those last ten games, right? But in the grand scheme of the things, if you look at it without Draymond, they're kind of – like straddling a 500 record right without him so if you didn't know like how it happened and you just heard that they've been a 500 team without their second best player that wouldn't really be like awful right it's just that we won a bunch we went like nine and oh and then we like went two and ten and so it just feels really bad and I understand that I understand that reaction from fans but I still think as a result people have been going way overboard with the takes um, and I think you feel the same because I kind of saw like a tweet you you had. I don't want to speak for you. So I mean, what what are your thoughts right now on the current state of the Dubs? Um, I just think that you know, obviously, without Draymond, everything that he does for the team, defensively, emotionally, um, putting guys in better position, even offensively, he helps a, a ton. So when people go to the timeline and just say, like, this is not a championship level team, they're not a real contender, um, all this type of stuff. And it's like, we haven't seen Draymond and Clay play together still in three years, like, since 2019. So it's like, relax a little bit. If Draymond comes back and he, he looks like his normal self and they still are losing and stuff like that, then maybe you can hit the pan panic button and stuff like that. But we've yet to see this team at full, full strength. Um, and even before then, early in the season, this team was dominant before they were at full, full strength. So it's like, relax a little bit, you know, like you said, it's to be expected. You miss your second best player, your best defensive player, another playmaker for you. Um, it's going to look a little weird sometimes. But I think they're underperforming based on our expectations of them, even without Draymond. So it's kind of frustrating, but I still don't think it's time to hit the panel button at all. Well, what do you say to the people who think like the team may be overachieved at the beginning of the season? Do you think that they are fully healthy closer to that team? Or do you think maybe they just really overachieved and they're closer to the team that we're seeing now? Uh, no, I definitely think they're closer to the team at the beginning of the season. Um, when, you, when you talk about how dominant they were and why they were so dominant, uh, it's because they had the best defense in the league. You know, you take you know, you take Draymond out of the lineup, you're still, uh, you know, serviceable defense, but you're not anywhere near the best version of yourself. You, Draymond is that type of dude that can just take you from regular to elite on defense. And I think as long they as they were like a historic head, defense this year, right? Like it wasn't just like, oh, you were the number one defense because they were the number one defense by like miles in comparison to the others and then when you compared it with like defenses of the past it was like historic it was like like one of the best in a very long time exactly exactly and then i mean you you add a guy like draymond and then also with this and andre and gp2 running out of lineup with injuries that he gets you know if you have your full squad you're looking at a team with andre uh gary wiggins draymond looney you're probably going to have a plus-level defender on the court at all times. You know, even Steph um, has been, you know, better defensively than the majority of his career, even though he's been pretty good throughout his career. So, I mean, like I said, you get everybody back. 
a lot of the issues that they've been having as far as like not rebounding, not being able to defend the interior, stuff like that, being out of position, it kind of goes away with Draymond, at least theoretically it does. Okay. And so what about the people who say like, oh, um, we're making excuses and Dre's not going to clean up all these things because um, I think there is a direct correlation. Like, obviously, we know the defense has been a problem. So we know Dre cleans up a lot of that. You also mentioned that like Dre is important on offense. And I do think people forget that sometimes. So I want to talk about that a little bit. But also, I think there's like a direct correlation, right? Like your defense, this team, even though they shoot threes, they don't always shoot threes, but that's what people think of them for, right? Because of Steph and and Clay, the Splash Brothers, right? But they shoot threes. The offense has been beautiful in the past. But like, really, they're a defensive team first. They always have been. Um, and right. that, gets, that gets lost a lot. And defense helps their offense, right? Because a lot of the times, right, like they get a rebound and they push the pace. Dre pushes the pace. They're playing a lot of half court right now, at least like from what I'm seeing, right? So a lot of the things that makes their offense flow and work starts with the defense and like their defense is not there. So you have like their offense, while the offense is okay right now and it's fine, it's still not as good as it could be. And then you're missing your defensive anchor, right? And so can you talk about the correlation between the two and specifically with respect to this team? Um, I mean, I think you hit the nail right in the head. Like guys cleaning up the, the boards, especially Jaymon with his ability to look up the court when he gets the rebound, grab the rebound and push the pace himself. Um, you got a guy like Gary Payton and Andre Godala who's going to give you a lot of, like, perimeter steals, like passing lanes, picking guys when they dribble and stuff like that. That just creates easy offense. Um, and I think the, the absence of Andre, too, has kind of gone under the radar um, it's because there's so many things that he does, like just being smart on the court, telling guys where they need to be, like I said, getting those steals, rebounds, and stuff like that, and pushing the pace himself. Um like you said, it just it leads into the offense. It just makes the game go a little bit faster, which also plays into the Warriors' hands. Um, and then, like I said, you just you don't have to play against a set defense all the time, which is going to get guys into a better rhythm and just make the, the flow of the game go a little bit better for the Warriors. Yeah, you know, I saw um, <laughs> people, like, it's not a lot of people, but there's, like, one particular individual who's, like, been fighting me a lot because – Anytime I say anything about Dre, he thinks like I'm trying to make excuses for the team. And I'm not. Like, I do think that there are some games that they could have and should have won during this stretch. So I'm not giving them a pass for that. But I don't think it's all just like people are just like, they're not showing up to play. You know, they're like just some of the takes that are coming from it seems so extreme because. You know, it's just like, we should beat this team. And it's like, but why? That's a good team on the other side. You know, like, I guess my point is that, you know, maybe sometimes our expectations are a little unfair, right? Um, when you like take, when you take a step back and really look at it, because any team that's usually missing their second best player, they're not going to look the same. And it also depends on how long you're missing your player, right? Like, I think... For one, I think the teams they were playing when they went 9-0, and 
those teams were like not as good as some of the teams they're playing now or like sometimes they were missing a player like when we played Utah like Donovan Mitchell was out or like we played the the the, the Nets when it was just Kyrie because I think Harden was hurt Kevin Durant wasn't there so they're good teams but they're good teams that were missing people or they're less disciplined teams on defense right or you know they're young just different things and so what I'm saying is like you're playing like teams with like more high-end talent they're better they're more disciplined so it's going to be harder to get those wins if you don't you know play ideal and the longer you play without a player right that's the harder it becomes like you can get by for a few games maybe a game but then over time you are asking players to do more on the court and when everyone is having to do more then they become maybe not as good as what they're always good at doing. And so I just think you're seeing the effects of the extended absence, but people are just like, no, they went nine and no before, so they should be able to win more games. And so, I mean, I just want to make sure, like, am I just trying too hard to give them a reason or is that like reasonable what I'm saying? Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's fair on both sides. Um, they did go nine and no without them, but like you said, they were, different circumstances. And at the end of the day, I feel like we're all just looking for the process to be like valid in our in our eyes, right? At the end of the day, you're not gonna replace what Draymond does, but when guys aren't playing as hard as you think they can be playing, that's a little bit frustrating. When you're in these close games, even if it's against a good team, you always feel like you got a chance to win as a team. You know, you want your team to, you know, win those games. And when you lose the games to things like free throws, we lose the game to like offensive rebounds and stuff like that. That becomes a little bit more frustrating than if you just get more like out talented than the other team. You know, if you play the Bucks or the Suns and they're just firing on all cylinders and we're, and we're without Draymond and we still lose, then it's like, okay, we fought hard, but we lost. But when you when you lose games and it's like, I don't know if they're grabbing as many rebounds as they could have if they really wanted to. You know, that's the game that's kind of like, mm-hmm. It, it gets a little bit frustrating. Like that Lakers game, the last loss for us was pretty frustrating because they missed 10 free throws, lost by eight. Um, I think the Lakers out-rebounded them by five, but so many offensive rebounds for the Lakers that just gave them second possessions that ended up in points. Um, I'm pretty sure like a few of LeBron's 56 points came off an offensive rebound. And I think that last bucket by Melo, kind of like the dagger came off an offensive rebound and then a kick out. So that gets pretty frustrating. And then at the same time, you got to acknowledge that you're missing your second best player. So like it's, in a, that it's a trade game, it's For a example, like versus the Mavs, I believe we out-rebounded them, right? But they were just making yeah, we just, ridiculous. <laughs> they were shooting from three, like next level. Exactly. Yeah, that game I wasn't too upset about just because like, Luca, I think he finished like 40 something. And then the others, they were just, you know, hitting shots. So that type of game is like, okay, it is what it is. It's, it's a one game out of 82 in the NBA. You're going to run into a team that just gets hot one night and you just, you don't really have an answer for it. Um, so, like I said, it's, it's a trade off. It's fair for both sides. I understand like the viewpoint from either side. Yeah. So let's talk about like some of the players whose names been coming up and people have been critical of because I mean I thought it was weird because I'm still seeing not that much but I, I've seen some people saying like Seth is still being passive and I'm I'm like okay I, I don't agree with that but as far as definitely his play or a slump 
like I think it's safe to say that's over like for the past 15 games he's looked pretty good his numbers are good it's really hard to say that there's any kind of slump um but let's talk about Clay and Andrew because I think those are the two names that come up a lot and I'd like to talk about Otto because I feel like he's not being discussed but he's kind of he hasn't been performing at the same level that he was earlier in the season. So um, let's start with Wiggins though, because it's (laughs) the fan base sort of, some of them have started to like turn back on him already. Um, You know, with Wiggins, I think that I do think Dre's absence is really impacting him for offensively and defensively. I think he has to do more on defense Right. So that's already harder for him. But I think offensively, Dre helped create a lot of his shots. Right. And I think that he's creating a lot more for himself. He's making more decisions and he doesn't always make the best decisions. So, you know, his shot selection isn't that great. Um, And so I think that's I don't think it's like he just stopped doing what he was doing earlier. It's that like Dre isn't there. And so this is what you didn't want Andrew to be, meaning like you can't have Andrew be your second best player. He needs to be your third best or fourth or whatever he is. And in that role, he's going to excel and look good. And so I do think that that will get cleaned up when Dre is back, but he, he has to try to find a way to be better, but I think it's maybe going to still continue to look rough somewhat while Dre is out. That being said, Um, I do think the free throws are an issue. I think he doesn't want to attack because he's worried about having to go through the line. I don't want a Ben Simmons issue (laughs) come come the postseason. Like, JTA missing free throws was not ideal, but, like, you're not going to be playing JTA like that in the postseason. But Andrew is going to play, right? He is a player that they may try to attack and do, like, hack a hack a Wiggins you know we haven't seen that we saw that with Loon but that's what teams started doing the bent in the postseason so do you have any level of concern over that and then also what is your view in general about Wiggins right now uh it's definitely concerning like you said you don't want a Ben Simmons um issue where he's scared to attack and you don't want the hack of thing to ever happen to your team because I mean, unless you are for sure confident that they're going to hit the free throws, which right now you can't be super confident in Wiggins' ability to hit those free throws because he hasn't hit them. Um, my viewpoint of Wiggins right now is, like you said, he's been asked to do a little bit too much. At the same time, the things that don't require you to be super-duper talented, he's not really delivering, in my opinion, on. Um, you know, just effort on the boards, you know, just being a little bit more physical inside. And these are things that Dre obviously helps with and he kind of covers for when he's there. But it's like when you have the physical profile of Andrew Wiggins, um, you should, you should, whether Dre's there or not, you should be giving us a little bit more on that end. I always felt that way. Um, and then just offensively, like you said, Draymond's not there to give him the shots that he usually gets, the back cuts, post up, stuff like that. So I think it's a little bit more on the coaching staff or whoever is, you know, developing the offensive schemes to not put him in positions for him to like make mistakes and stuff like that, you know, try to kind of cover up for Dre's absence another way. Right. In my opinion, if you look at Wiggins and look at Clay, they attack different ways. Clay's obviously like higher volume three point shooter. 
Wiggins um, theoretically should be getting more shots at the rim, but they're both play finishers, right? They shouldn't be asked to create for others. They shouldn't be asked to, you know, really create for themselves off the dribble unless it's in certain certain instances. Um, but they've been put in positions where they have to do that a lot more than they should, probably should. And, you know, Clay at this point, he's kind of pressing a little bit. He's trying to get his rhythm back. He got sick, so it probably took him a little bit out of rhythm. So he's just, you know, shooting, shooting, shooting. And it's like if he is put into a position where he only has to, you know, shoot an open three or shoot a catch and shoot or something like that, maybe a post-up, then it won't look as bad. But if he's at the top of the key dribbling, 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 trying to get by somebody, and he's just forcing up a shot because he can't get by anybody right now, um, it's going to look horrible. Wiggins, at the same time, if he is dribbling a lot and then he's thinking, man, I don't want to go all the way to the rim because I don't want to shoot free throws, he's settling for mid-range shots. So it's like take the ball out of their hands a little bit more, you know, give it to Steph, give it to Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole has been great over the last two games, and I think he's showing his ability to be that guy, at least off the dribble, to be able to create and open up for other guys. So I think they need to lean a little bit more into those two um, just kind of more in traditional, you know, ball handling roles like they've been doing with Steph for the last few whatever games. Um, do it a little bit more with Jordan Poole and see if it can open it up for Clay and Wiggins to, you know, get their shots off of them rather than asking them to create for themselves and others. Thank you. Um, what are you seeing from Otto? Otto is, in my opinion, he's been doing okay. You know, he... You think of Otto as just like a knockdown shooter. So when he's not hitting shots, it just seems like he's not really doing a lot out there. But he's still one of the better rebounders on the team. Um, yes. He got 10 rebounds last game. He's doing all that he can defensively. You know, he's limited in what he can do as well. He's had a ton of injuries over his career, so he's not as mobile as he used to be. But I think he's one of those guys that's still willing to go out there and do the dirty work. So I, I have no really, you know, issues with, with Otto right now. His I do shot think will start to fall ball. again, right? Yeah, You're not exactly. About that. Right. Nah, definitely not. I mean, especially with guys being out. Once he, once guys get back in, like you said, everybody gets into their proper offensive roles, and everybody gets into their proper defensive roles. So you know, all the extra effort that Otto may be putting on defense and rebounding can be, you know, Draymond can take some of that up. Andre can take some of that up. Now he can have a little bit more energy, more length under the shots. And they're going to start falling again. So I'm not really worried about Otto at all. Okay. Okay. What do you think about the fact that Poole didn't close in either of the last two games, even though he really had it going? Like, I thought he should have been on the court. Um, so if he was going to be on the court, who would you take out? Um, particularly against the Lakers. We finished with Juan and Joku. Juan, Joku, Wiggins, Clay, Steph. Was that it? I don't remember the closing lineups. I remember who the closing lineup was because I was out that night with the Lakers. I wasn't like, I was watching the game but not watching it. But I know with the Mavs, I think he went um, Otto, Clay, Steph, Moody. Moody. Joku. Was it Joku? Or was it? I think. So. Or was okay. it? I was gonna say, was it Loon? No, he had four shooters around stuff. So who? It was four shooters. It was. I think it was Joku, but he was just being used as a shooter, but he wasn't really. 
Okay. He's not really a shooter, but I think it was Joker because yeah, I remember him shooting a few corner threes and stuff. But um, I would take either. I would probably take Kaminga out for him, to be honest. Um, just because at this point in his career, he does have a physical profile of somebody that should be able to, you know, go in there and grab rebounds but for the same reasons of like that. I'm frustrated with Wiggins. He just doesn't, you know, go out there and grab rebounds. But at the same time, he's 19 years old. Um, that part of his game has to be developed, you know, just that, that fire to go in and grab rebounds, use his body a little bit better. Um, so I would take I would take him out and just have Jordan against the the Mavericks, and I probably would have taken him out against the Lakers too. Either him or Juan, you know. But probably probably Joker because Juan was at least you know he knows to get in there and try to do some of the dirty work. He's a little bit more limited as far as talent and, and athleticism compared to Joker, but he at least you know knows like only way I'm going to be on the court is to do the dirty work. So yeah, probably would have took Kaminga out both games okay because um, yeah I mean there was just a lot of conversation around that and in the Lakers game in particular I think a little more than the Mavs game I felt like Clay was maybe even hurting them a little bit more than he was helping um, and so it's one of, you know, I'm not always the kindest to Kerr, but it's one of the times where I said, look, I understand the dilemma because in theory, maybe Clay shouldn't be playing right now. Like, you know, he just didn't have it going, but you don't really want to like send Clay to the bench because optics, how that might affect him, dynamics, but it probably wasn't best to have him on the court <laughs> to close um, because he, he really wasn't helping. Yeah, I totally understand that. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's probably better to let him play through those, you know, those bumps in the road because you're going to need him in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. Like, just straight up. <laughs> and then, like, just all the history, what he's done for the franchise and stuff like that, I think he's earned the, the, the respect of everybody to be able to be put in those positions. So, and then every, for all the other reasons you said as well, it just doesn't look good. It could possibly affect his, um, you know, mentality and stuff like that. So, But now what like, concern do you have over Jordan? Because you play a whole game well, you're helping the team and you keep getting benched for guys that are not helping as much. You know, what does that do for him? Because we need Jordan too, you know? And that's the thing. And we need Andrew. So it's like, we need all three of these players to coexist and be like at their best. For sure. For sure. Um, and this is and this is where you wish, you know, Clay and Wiggins were a little bit more physical inside, because then you can just play Jordan. You can play all three of them, right? And this is the dilemma that I think the coaching staff is gonna have to figure out because if you go Steph Jordan, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond to finish games. Yes, that's probably your best possible offensive lineup because you have your two best creators and then you have your two best play finishers with Clay and Wiggins. Um, and then you have Draymond to be the glue for everything, right? But if Draymond's the only guy that's a plus rebounder for his position, I mean, Draymond and Steph, you got three guys who you know, aren't necessarily like great rebounders for their position. They aren't super physical inside and stuff like that. Then it puts you in a compromised position against the bigger teams. Um, so I think they're they're probably going to look at Otto or Andre to finish instead of Jordan, and you run into that issue of Clay's not 
hot or he, he don't got it going and Jordan does, you got you to gotta make a tough decision. Now, in the playoffs, it just comes down to, like, winning or losing. I would just go with who's having a better game. Um, like, at that point, it's like, fuck your feelings. Like, we're trying to win. <laughs> so, and do you think Kerr will do that? No. <laughs> He's going to go with Clay. That's for sure. He's going to go with Clay. No question about it. I think Jordan is still young in his eyes. Like you can see he puts Jordan in the doghouse every now and then just because, you know, he just doesn't quite – I don't know if he just doesn't quite trust, you know, everything that Jordan does or he's just still trying to send him messages and keep him learning and stuff like that. But it's no chance that he's picking Jordan over Clay in that situation, I, I don't think. Now, you had a tweet the other day, and it was just like, Jordan is not going to stay, y'all. Just know, like, he's not going to deal with this. Now, were you trolling, or did you do you really believe that? Because if his actions ultimately end up, because, like, I get it. We didn't want Oubre to stay, but I think Kerr and the way he handled Oubre is really weighed into, like, why Oubre left, right? So losing Oubre, I don't think is that big of a deal, but, like, if that could be a reason that ultimately cost them pool down the line, is that, like, not an issue? It's an issue. Um, I think they wanted Oubre gone. I think that's why Oubre was gone. They just did not want to sign him back. Um, as far as Jordan, I was halfway trolling, halfway serious when I tweeted that. I just think that as a young player in the league, hasn't gotten a big contract yet, um, wants to start, wants to be a star, has confidence through the world, through the, through the roof. You know, he, he thinks of himself as a superstar in this league or a future superstar in this league. So it's like you're asking him to come back to a team where he's probably not going to start for another year or two, three years, maybe, depending on how long Clay is going to be, you know, starting level. You're asking him to not finish why, games. Why does that have to be the case? You know, I was having this conversation with someone, right? I mean, Andre was in his prime when he came and was asked to come off the bench, and I get it. He doesn't. He wasn't here from the beginning like Clay, right? And I'm not saying that Clay should come off the bench right now because I don't think ultimately, um, right now Jordan is playing better. But I'm still not prepared to say that like he's better than Clay, right? But as he continues to get better, that may become a thing because Clay is aging. He's not getting younger. And he has two major injuries. So why would that be so offensive if he's, like, coming off the bench? Like, why is that a thing that's just, like, far-fetched? I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. for, for Jordan to come off the bench or for Clay? For Clay. Like, why, like you know, because, like, we're just, like, it's not going to happen for a long time. And I hear a lot of people say that. Like, why? Like, I, I feel like after maybe, like, another season, like, why can't that be a real conversation, especially if, like, Jordan takes another leap next year? I mean... I mean, it won't matter then because he'll be, like, in theory, locked up under contract, but if he's not happy, then that could just create other issues, right? Or especially with the way the league has been trending with people asking out of contracts or, you know, whatever. So I'm just saying, like... Can it just be that you're just like, well, look, this is what your role is, and you just have to accept it for the next four years? I guess I, I just, I don't know. I feel like that needs to be something that they're open to. If it makes sense, yeah. you know, I think even back to those Celtics, 
right? When they had like the big three and there was a point where Ray came off the bench and Avery Bradley started. And it wasn't because Avery Bradley was a better player (laughs) than Ray Allen, even at that stage. It's because it was better for their lineup. They played better. He brought defense. He's a better two-way. Like he was just better for the starting lineup, you know? And I know Ray didn't like it, but it was ultimately better for the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something they gotta they gotta think about going forward as well. But usually, you see these guys come back from these injuries, and the first year may not look as good, but the next year they kind of look better. You know, what I mean, if Clay comes back next year and he's better than he is this year, then you kind of look at it like, hmm, this is like really this is Jordan's last year on contract. Clay's looking good. But they're trying to extend him this year, right? For sure, I think they wanna they wanna handle it now. So they don't run into that situation. Um, so, but what I'm what I'm thinking is Jordan may be thinking, "Hey, they love Clay. Like I'm playing better than him now, and they're still starting him over me, and they're still finishing with games with him over me. I want to be, you know, this 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 type of player in this league. Maybe I should wait a little bit and just test my options. I don't know. I mean, like you said, Andre." When he went to the bench was later on in his career. Ray was later on his career. Career Clay is kind of getting to that point, but he missed two years, so it's like he 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 might be trying to play a little get back. You know, he's trying to make up for all the lost time, as you can see with all the shots that he's taken and just how frustrated he is when he's not out there. He just wants to play. Like he just hates not playing anymore because he he didn't he couldn't play for the last two years. So it's a weird dynamic for sure. Um, I'm just thinking about from a young player's mindset, as far as Jordan is concerned, um, he might not be as excited to kind of go through that process. Yeah, because you're stifling his growth. For sure. Candidly, for sure. And I've been saying it all year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think another, just taking it back to kind of like the the offense and how things have been going and and as far as like steps rotation, I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, but it's kind of stifling Jordan. As you can see in the beginning of the year when Jordan was off, when Steph was off the court and Jordan was on the court, Jordan's numbers, you know, objectively were were better, you know, individually. So you kind of take it with the rotations and stuff like that. It kind of takes Jordan out of rhythm as well. So I feel like it's just kind of a lot of things compounding on him right now as far as being taken in and out of the lineup, um, the way that he's been used, his numbers are going down, he's not finishing games. So it could be kind of like a, you know, avalanche effect or, or things that can lead him ultimately to another franchise. Hopefully not, but yeah. Right. Well, it's definitely something to monitor, right? Um, definitely something to monitor. Okay. So yeah, so they've been having some struggles. I think we covered that thoroughly. And then they they lose this Lakers game, which by the way, I really, I'll never speak against my team or ever be like, they're go- like, I hate when people say we're going to lose. Like it, nothing irks me more. Um, I don't even like people are like, we're going to lose tonight in Denver. Like, I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like we may not lose, you know? And I'm not even saying that because like, I'm delusional. I'm saying that because 
Denver just played a back to, I knew it was going to be a back to back always. So I always said like one of the good things about that game, even before I knew they were not sending players was like that makeup game sucks, but it's going to be the second night of a back to back for Denver. So at least that's in our favor, but to me, it's even more in our favor that they played overtime last night and like you'll just play 40 plus minutes. Right. And so this is a team that lost to OKC with Jokic on the floor. Like Denver isn't that good. Jokic is just very good. Um, but the rest of the squad isn't. And we've seen outside of the Toronto team, Toronto game, the baby doves have played well. They really have. And in the Toronto game, Jordan wasn't there. So right now you have Jordan who's like on fire. You have like Moody, who's been playing well. You know, he wants to keep reminding them, like, I should be playing. I want rotation minutes. Kaminga, we know where he stands. They have youth, they have athleticism, and they didn't play last night. So I just, I think it's going to be a competitive game. And obviously, Denver has the best player in the two, in on the two teams by far on the court tonight. But I think that there is a path to us sneaking out with a victory, a slim chance, but I don't think it's outrageous. Oh, no, I agree. Definitely for all those factors that you said as well. Um, no one thought we was going to win that Spurs game. And, exactly. And, and I bring that up all the time. Yeah, so they definitely got a chance. Um, and even like the Pelicans said. game, that game, like, we didn't win yeah. it, but it was the baby dubs that, like, brought them back and made it a game. Right, right. So they're going to go out there and fight. Like you said, they they trying to get more minutes. They're trying to show why they should be getting more minutes. Um, and, yeah, we're going to see what happens. But... Hopefully a Jordan, Jordan, 40 ball, 50 ball. Right. <laughs> this is his time to like really make, you know, a statement. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, but like, as I was saying, I hate when like, like I will never say anything like negative to just be like, they're going to lose. So like with the Lakers game, I had a feeling we weren't going to win that game, but I was like, I just kept saying, look guys, it's going to be competitive and it don't matter what the Lakers have played like. It's Braun versus Steph. Those two always get up for each other. So like, if it's for one night, like you're not going to get LeBron able to play like what he did the other night, every night, but he can do it for one night in a national TV game versus Stephen Curry. He absolutely will. So I thought the game was going to be competitive. Um, but I, I kind of thought like we, we may not win. And so, but I do actually think, I hate that it had to take all of these things, but we finally got the Steph breaking point. Like we finally got it, you know, cause I was tired of people calling my guy a beta and name calling him and all this shit. Like, you know what Steph's personality is, but I was always like, at the end of the day, he's a champion. If y'all think that this man is okay with losing, he's not. He just doesn't express it the way like a Draymond or other people would. But Steph has a breaking point with everything. We've actually seen it every year. It's just always looked different. But he does have a breaking point. And I said, at some point, it's going to come this season. I wish that he didn't allow it to cost him an MVP. Um, but, you know, we're here now. We're at the breaking point, And uh, I love it. So how did you feel when you saw the news about the fact that he told Marcus he's going back to the... Because he announced that, well, Marcus broke it. Because it wasn't something that was said. Like, at the end of the Lakers game, that wasn't something that was said. <laughs> Right. And then Marcus <laughs> drops this article, and then later Curse was like, "Yeah, well," and 
you know, he's like, we kind of started the other night. No, the fuck you didn't. Like, you tried to right. get Clay's ass back in the game. And, and he's still trying to be like, well, you know, it could be 10-8. Nah, nah. Like, the, yeah, this, the this man is soaking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was happy to see this. Just because I felt like not only does it help Steph, you know, play for longer stretches. It helps the team, obviously, because you have your best player on the court for an entire 12-minute stretch, theoretically, you're going to win those minutes. Um, and it helps, like I said, it helps Jordan. It helps other guys just kind of settle into their roles a little bit better. Um, Jordan can have the ball in his hands for an extended period of time and be able to create. And then you put other guys like Wiggins in play in a better position to finish the plays instead of create the plays. Um, but for, from an individual standpoint, it's talking about Steph, it's like – a lot of his career, especially under Kerr, these 12-minute stretches, those last three, four minutes is usually when he finally gets cooking. You know, he starts distributing. You know, he may start some games super hot, but for the most part, he's trying to get other guys involved early, and then he decides to attack. But with the old rotation, it kind of, like, zapped that ability from him, especially we see him get hot, hit two, three shots in a row, and then he's getting taken out. Um, so now why he has the ability think, to just go. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but why do you think he didn't make – or maybe he ultimately did, but by the time he figured it out, it didn't matter. But why do you think he didn't make that adjustment, knowing that his minutes were going to be shorter? Why do you think he still kept insisting on trying to get, like, other guys going and not, like, because he knew he was going to be coming out earlier, right? And yet he still kind of kept playing the same way he did as though he was going to play a full quarter. I would say it's three things. For one, other guys, like... You know, Andrew, for one, if he doesn't get his touches early and often, I think he kind of fades. Steph understands that. Um, you know, getting guys like, you know, just getting other guys involved early just kind of gets them a little bit more amped up, ready for the game, you know, into the game. If you plan those those styles where the star player just takes all the shots from the jump, the other guys may not be as enthusiastic about defense, rebounding, and doing the other things. That's one thing. Two, I think the slump kind of got in his head, so he was just like, I'm not going to force it. Um, you know, just taking shots, whatever, just to take them. It's kind of like, you know, he's he, he said himself, he thinks about his percentages and stuff like that. So I don't think he wanted to go out there and just take shots and take them um, and, and continue to fall down the rabbit hole uh, of bad efficiency. But the third thing, I think, Draymond not being there, he just kind of had to be that point guard. So, you know, he's like, I'm going to get my guy shots early, kind of open up the defense a little bit, and then try to go for my shot after that. So. Okay. So you, I interrupted you, but you were speaking on the importance of um, him finishing first and, 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 and third quarters. And I want, like, that's, like, if you can elaborate on that a little bit more, if you had more to say, I, I would love that. But I also want to specifically ask you, because there's this thing people try to do and they make the 12-6, 12-6 about his shooting. Like, unless he plays this specific pattern, he can't be a good player. And so they're just like, I mean, is he really as good as we think if he needs to play like this? And I think that's absurd, right? So, I mean, my, my take on it is not, I never thought Steph needed a certain pattern to play well. And I feel like he's obviously now demonstrated that, right? Um, 
anyway because he's been good but it's like going under the radar because people are just so mad that he had a slump that was extended that like they can't get over it so they talk like he's still playing badly when he's really not at all um but the other thing is that you know, I never felt like 12, 6, 12, 6. Like the thing about that rotation to me was it wasn't about Steph. It For me, it was about, it was actually best for the team. And that was my whole thing about this new rotation. Like if you tell me that it's helping the team in some way, I'll be okay with it. But I wasn't seeing the benefit to the team. And I felt like it was also negatively impacting your best player, right? So he still seemed to be playing more minutes, right? games all of a sudden were like always close right and when like and I get that this is a different team now and I get they didn't have clay for like half the season and then they lost Draymond but like we used to blow out teams even when Kevin Durant wasn't on the team right like we you know the sitting of fourth quarters that was happening before and I felt and the third quarter being their best quarter was often largely due to Steph playing the full third quarter and like I remember I was at the Philadelphia game you know when they started that little east coast trip before he broke the record and they lost that night and I was there with some friends and I was like I was annoyed about the rotation from the beginning and I was like in that third quarter they took Steph out the game and the Warriors were like dominating that quarter they were looking good they could have like ran up that lead in the third they sat Steph, the lead went nowhere, Philly gained all the momentum, and after that, when the fourth quarter came back, it was just done, right? And even if the game isn't done, you let the game get closer, you let the other team get confidence and get back in it, and then it's a dogfight to the end, and you, you want Steph to, like, save you, you know? And I just think I was like, why are we changing something that wasn't broken? That's what I didn't understand. Your entire goal was to get him, um, you know, like to not have to play that many minutes. He was playing more, right? And I know the goal was to get him more minutes, I think in the second and fourth, which makes sense to me, honestly, only for the fourth. I don't really think he needed to play more minutes in the second quarter. Um, but you tell me, cause I think the second quarter is the least important to be, to be honest. So like, I just felt like all he ever had to do was take a couple minutes from the, from the second, add it into the fourth. Maybe you take a minute off of the first quarter. Cause I, I still think the third quarter is by far the most important and just let it go like that and give him eight minutes in the fourth. I never understood why he had to take so much from the first, take so much from the third, why there had to be choppy rotations. None of it made sense to me. Like I understood the goal they were trying to achieve. I didn't understand the way we were trying to achieve that goal. Right, right. And I think the overall premise behind the original uh, like thought process of changing 12-6, 12-6 was like, in those six minutes that he's not playing in the uh, second and the fourth quarter, the, excuse me, sorry. No problem. Okay. Um, I think the Warriors were getting killed in those minutes, like previous years, right? Then you look at the team this year, you're like, okay, on paper at least, we're better than those years before, right? Obviously not the KD years, but like last year specifically, we're running Brad Wanaman as the point guard out there without him, you know? And then you look at this year, you're like, okay, we got Jordan Poole, who's better than he was last year. Right. Um, 
we're adding Clay Thompson like halfway through the year. We got Andrew Wiggins who's playing better. You got GP2, you got Otto Porter, you got guys who fit the system a lot better than the team from last year. So theoretically, when you're in those six minutes, you should be able to survive a little bit better. Right. I don't even know why we were comparing it to last year. Like, we know last year what was happening. So that shouldn't have been the measure. It should have been all the fucking years before that. Like, why were we so concerned about combating something last year when we know the team was trying to soft tank, not fill roles? And it wasn't a exactly. year. To me, that was not the year to measure it against to say, we need to be different than last year. So let's fucking disrupt what we've been doing several years. I, I just right. really didn't understand. And I think, I mean, they might have been thinking, like, even though past years, we, even when we didn't have KD, we had play, like, at his peak prime. Um, but even then, those teams without Steph were about neutral when he didn't play. I mean, if we look back at the numbers, it could be it could be a, more or less, you know, a slight positive, slight negative. But they were kind of, like, around even when, when Steph didn't play. Um, and that's all you can ask for when, you, when your best player is not playing just don't be negative. Like, that's all you got to do. And I think they have the team now to, especially, um, like I said, with Jordan Poole coming to his own, plays finally back into the lineup. You know, they got other guys. The Lakers game, when he did play the first quarter, the whole thing, and then he sat, they held their own that second. And I get it. It was the Lakers, but they were fine. That second unit looked good, actually. Exactly. And it's because of a guy like Jordan, who everything that he can do offensively, should be enough to at least keep you afloat. Um, and then when Dre and Andre and all these guys come back, they can at least hold the fort down defensively. And I think that was with the, the original, like 2015 and 2016 Warriors, like their formula was kill teams when Steph is on the court. When he's not on the court, I remember Dre and Clay used to anchor those second units and they used to just like lock other teams up. They might not have been to score. They might not have been able to score as well as when Steph's on the court, but they can at least keep it neutral because they're just stopping the other team from scoring. And I think, like I said, when Dre and Andre come back, they can kind of put a little bit more auxiliary defensive pieces around Jordan and Clay in a second unit and just have Jordan and Clay carry that offense and like everybody else just kind of carry the defense and they can at least tread water while Steph's not on the court. Um, it just only makes sense to me. And like I said, it just puts Jordan into a better rhythm. It can help Clay get into a better rhythm as well, help Wiggins stay in a better rhythm because he's playing with Steph and getting shots when he's out there with Steph instead of just trying to, you know, find his way throughout the game. Um, but I guess we're going to have to wait and see how good it can be when Dre and them get back. But I don't know why they just didn't go back to this pattern in the first place. You know, for they just stayed in it for way too long, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, this coach just has a tendency to overcomplicate things unnecessarily and for really long periods of time. Like, I still am not convinced that he wanted to do this. I really think Steph was just, like, enough. Like, I mean, when you read the Marcus article, like I said, they don't really ever throw Kerr under the bus, so that's not what happened. It's more like you got to read between the lines, you know? Like, because, I mean, Marcus makes this statement to say that um, I have the article up, and he says, like, it says here, to be clear, well, Steph, there's a quote, something good came out of this game, Curry said, smiling as he disappeared into the locker room, and that was after the whole, like, you know, he's going back to his old pattern, right? But then, you know, Marcus writes and clarifies, to be clear, he wasn't rebuking the pattern he's used this season. <laughs> oh, you know? okay. 
which included planned rest in each quarter. Um, this is Curry sounding the alarm, but it still had to be him sounding the alarm, right? Like I think because the, the, the language I started to hear from Kerr was actually concerning me. It was like, we're predictable without Draymond. We're missing Draymond bad. It was like, honestly, that shit is real fucking loser mentality to me. I don't like it. And I, I, I mean this, people are going to think I'm just hating on Kerr right now in this moment, but I really think sometimes I get that he was an NBA player. I get that he's been around the league for a long time and all of that shit. I also think because he was a role player, he cannot understand what it is like to be in the shoes of, of, of these guys. I don't. I, I really believe that. And I think that sometimes affects how he makes decisions on the court, you know, because it's like he sacrifices his stars for the extent to the for the expense of like role players feeling good. And I will never, I will never understand that. You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense to me. So it's just like, when you're talking like that, you're blaming the fact that you're really missing a guy right now for your losses. Like, you're, are you saying you can't win until Draymond gets back? Like, I, like when he's like, we've become predictable, I'm like, well, isn't it your job as the coach then to do something so you're not as predictable? <laughs> like, you're making it seem like, oh, without our guy, we can't do anything, right? And like in the article with Marcus, one of the things that Steph was basically saying is that he doesn't like the fact that they're getting comfortable with losing. And like just with the past years and him having been around, he's like, you just kind of see it creeping in. <laughs> you know, you see that it's like, we're okay with losses. And he's like, I won't let us become that team, right? It does not. And that's what I'm saying. Like, he does not like the losing. And I feel like Kerr sends a message when he keeps, oh, you know, this is what happens at this part of the season. Last year it was, oh, well, we don't have clay. Oh, well, we're not trying to win games you know, or we're not chasing wins, or it's when you just like keep sending the message, like we're just gonna, and I'm not really talking about this Denver game, but when you just decide we're not going to send guys and not play guys to, I think all of those things makes people think younger players, at least it's okay to lose, you know? And I feel like that starts at the top. And I feel like he's the one sending that message, you know? And so I thought it was interesting, this article, um, because then the next day, uh, Slater asked Kerr, right, in a post game specifically about the Marcus thing. And then he still tries to make it seem like it's some decision they came to together. And I'm just like, right. bro, bro, we don't believe you. <laughs> right. No, that's, it's kind of like, um, sure, when things go right or like everybody sees a good decision being made or whether it's from him or not, he's like, yeah, that's, that's all me. And then it's yeah. like they lose. And it's like, we do point out, like, okay seems like y'all are okay with losing and he's like oh no you know it's just because we don't have Draymond. oh it's just because this this and this but the winning all the credit goes there the losing oh it's, it's deflected a little bit um, yeah so i definitely i definitely see uh the point that you're making there it's pretty yeah, frustrating I, I bring up teams like the clippers and and i get that the clippers are not at the top of the standing but the clippers have been missing Paul George for most of the season. They haven't had Kawhi all season and they are above 500 without any kind of star on the team. And by the way, that's not the first time they did that. In 2019, when they played us, 
that season, that's one of the reasons, and maybe it's because Lou was on the bench, and so maybe I'm giving too much credit to Doc Rivers, but that one season is the one thing that makes me say Doc Rivers is still not as bad as people make him seem. I don't think he's, like, the best coach, but when he coached that season without having any stars, and that team still was what it was, you know what I mean? Like, that was impressive to me. And look at look at the Heat. They've had two-way players in the lineup. Kyle Lowry's been out for dumb long. You know what I mean? And I get it. But Jimmy hasn't been in the lineup the whole time. Bam hasn't been in the lineup all the time. They're at the top of the East. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. do not understand, you know, how we can excuse so much. I really don't. And people are gonna say people are gonna say it's all the issues with roster construction. And I don't even want to dismiss that because I do. I've honestly always felt some, not all, but some of the criticisms of the roster construction. But like, if teams, if the Heat are going out to get two-way players to fill in spots, like, this is not, you know, it's not like they're getting other stars from around the league. So I just, I don't easily just accept that, oh, it's because the roster is so poorly constructed. No, I'll feel you there. I'll feel you there. Um, at the same time, we haven't picked up anybody. <laughs> well, I know, and that's ridiculous. <laughs> well, look, they could have, well, all of our spots are filled, right? So they would have to cut someone. Um, sure. And I have no problem with them cutting belly, though, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand all the points you're making. Like, there's, there's been a few different ways they could have gone about, you know, salvaging the time without Draymond at the end of the day, whether it's making some adjustments like letting Steph go back to his normal rotation, um, switching up some of the offensive schemes, you know, maybe going out and adding a player, whatever the case may be, it just seems like they just kind of, they was like, oh, we're just going to ride it out. Like, whatever it is, we're just going to ride okay. it out. Eight to 10. Yeah. And, and like you said, it just sends the wrong message. Um, Meanwhile, the Suns are still in dogfights, winning games without their two best players. They almost beat Milwaukee. They yeah. almost beat Milwaukee. And, and I get it. It was just one of those games. But we got sunned on national TV. And the Suns yeah. almost beat Milwaukee with no Devin Booker or Chris Paul on the court. Like, and yes, they, they have a more talented team. But I'm just saying, like, I, I just... This guy just gets an incredible pass to me, Justin, that I don't understand. And it's all about what he did in 2015. Bro, we're in 2022 now. I understand that they kept winning, but he also got an immense amount of talent that came, right? You added Kevin Durant to the team, right? What has he done that's been so great since that time, you know? And so, look, we all know where I feel on Kerr. I don't want to spend too much time on him. But I feel like in Dre's absence, you lean into Steph more. You lean the, the same way that we did to close that season last year because you had to win a certain amount of games to like even be in position yeah. to be in the playoffs. You lean into your best player. You lean into offense. You obviously still got to play defense, but your, your best defender isn't there. A DPOY level defender isn't there. So you lean into offense. You lean into the strength of your best player and you try to win games that way. That's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And this is why the whole 
weirdness that was going on with Jordan and his playing time and the way he was being used was just extra weird for me because it's like you need Jordan. Whether Draymond's there or not, you need Jordan, but especially with Draymond out, you need these guys to be firing on all cylinders on offense. And it's like you got a lot of offensive talent on this team, whether Clay's in a slump or not, whether Wiggins is not making his free throws or not. These guys, Wiggins has averaged 20 in this league before. Clay has averaged 20 in this league before. Steph's averaged 30-plus literally last year. Jordan was averaging 17, 18 before, before like, guys got added to the, um, to the lineup. So, like, you have enough offensive talent to the point where you should be putting up 115, like, on a bad day, 120s. Like, so uh, my, phone's, my phone's getting close to dying. But, um, yeah, lean into offense. Yeah, it just I, I totally agree on leaning into offense and it's just like just simplify things like like you just said he he, he overcomplicates things for like literally no reason. Um it's like you just make it simple for these guys, run regular run of the mill offense in the NBA that everybody runs some variation of just to get you through this stretch a little bit. And then you can go back to your, you know, bread and butter stuff that kind of confuses other teams' defenses. But for now, you need to stack up some wins so you don't fall too much, so guys don't get used to losing, all this type of stuff. Um, but, so this is, my, yeah. this is my hot take, and then I have one final question to, like, close us out. Um, how much battery power you got left? I should be good for another, like, you know, for the rest okay. of the... Okay. So <laughs> this is, like, my hot take because, like, I really despise when people, like, confuse like you know there's this phrase it's like don't confuse like correlation with like causation right so something happens and then because it happened right it's like the suns got better when chris paul was there so therefore chris paul is the reason for everything good that happened on the suns right and so i i've always felt that a lot of that is what came with kerr Kerr is definitely like he upgraded the offensive system. I'm not taking any of that away, but I just think that like just the natural progression of Steph, what, what Steph would have been just because of like his age and getting better as a player, um, Clay going into his prime, Dre, all those things. I feel like that I'm not, I don't know what would have happened under Mark Jackson. What I'm saying is I don't think that like, I, I think he's overcredited a little, a little bit, right? So, and I just feel that happens a lot on this team. So my hot take is really about like Jordan Poole, right? Because even last year, right? People are just like, look, Jordan Poole went to the G League and then he came back and look, I'm like, did y'all see the game that Jordan Poole played that last game before he went to the G League? Jordan Poole did not need to go to the G League to do any of that, right? Like, it was good, I guess, in theory that he just was getting reps, but they could have inserted him a lot sooner and he would have been helping the team, right? And they just didn't. But now it's like, oh, well, look, he went, they sent him, you know, it was a genius, and now he came back and boom, he's doing this. I'm like, did we all watch that last game before, you know? And so I just, I don't know, you know, Jordan Poole was not someone who, Look, they did good by drafting him, right? Because a lot of us missed on him. But um, I just think that, like, Jordan Poole's been ready for a long time. And obviously, he's still young and he has to develop. But I, I think that he really can do so much to help this team. And I'm, I'm a little concerned about how they manage him. That's all. It's, it's something that worries me a little bit. 
Yeah, same here. Like I said, I think they just need to lean into him a little bit more and just kind of live with the, the growing pains because we're going to need him to win a championship. Like, there's no other way around it. Like, if you look at all these other teams, need, need. Need, like, whatever he gives you is not a plus. It is a necessity. Like, that's how you have to view it. Like, whatever Otto gives you is a plus. Whatever, you know, Kaminga gives you is a plus. These guys that are either rookies or minimum players or whatever the case may be, um, that's the cherry on top that can kind of put you over the top. But you need, on a base level, stuff, cool, Clay, Wiggins, Andre, and Draymond to, to be the best versions of themselves. Because that's the only way that you're going to have enough to, to beat these teams with, you know, these, you know, the Bucks and all these other teams that are really, really good at the top, the Suns, who are super deep. You know, all their guys, all their main guys bring everything that they have every single night. You're going to get the double-double floor general from Chris Paul. You're going to get the 25 to 30 points from Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges' defense, you know, all that type of stuff. You go down the line, they're bringing their best effort every night. So if you're not getting the most out of your top six, seven, eight players, you're handicapping yourself and you're not going to win a championship. That's just straight up how it is. So um, they definitely need to figure it out. I think they're starting to figure it out again with Jordan. He's getting back into a rhythm, but they can't keep yo-yoing things with him. It has to be straight up, we need you to go out there and give us a good 15 to whatever points a game off the bench, control the second unit, you know, create for others, create for yourself, and just, you know, put a lot of pressure on defense, especially when Steph's not in there because we're our offense is shit if it's not if you're not gonna do it right straight up. And Steph obviously recognizes that, which is why he made a pack with Jordan at the beginning of the year. I just don't always know if their coach does. All right. So my final question is we heard that Dre may be coming back in seven to ten days. That also aligns with the timeline that um Fitz alluded to on a broadcast where he said, like, you know, I would love to see Dre back like by the 14th or after the 14th, something like that, he said. And so assuming that because like I see some people saying like they feel like Dre is being rushed back. And I, I don't think he is because I think that was always the timeline, right? Um, but also some people like keep Dre out as long as possible. I'm like, I don't think you can do that and I don't mean because of wins but I think you need the team to get some time together to build cohesion going into the postseason what do you think that timing looks like I mean I think if he comes back around mid-March you know that probably does give them the right amount of time but how many games would you like to see him playing in before they're going into the postseason um definitely at least 10 to 12, I think that's a good enough because he's still practicing with the team. He's just not doing contact, I think, or at least every other practice is that, that type of thing. And he's still around the team. So I don't think it's one of those things where they have to have like 25 plus games together. I don't even think have any games left, but um, at least 10, you know, get his rhythm back with Clay, actual in game reps. Theoretically, if they can hold on to the second seed somehow, they would end up playing, I'm assuming, either the Clippers or the Timberwolves. Um, I'm not sure if Paul George and Kawhi are coming back, but theoretically, if they play the Clippers without Paul George and Kawhi, if they play the Timberwolves as presently constructed, they should beat either team, you know, within five or six games. So that can also be added on to the amount of time, you know, before they see Memphis. 
um, theoretically in a second round series or maybe even Denver if they get their guys to beat Memphis. But um, yeah, 10 to 12 games, regular season. There's only five games in April. So, I mean, even if he comes back back against the Bucks. I wanted him to come back against the Bucs, but it seems unlike by the Bucs. It seems unlikely, but that is the beginning of a homestand. So after the, and then, and if you go by the seven to 10 days that um, Woj said, that would put him anywhere from the 14th itself, which is that's a Monday that would be versus Washington. And if you do 10 days, that would put him on the 16th, which is the game versus Boston. Then after that, they have three nights off, and then they have one more game at home versus San Antonio, and then it's a road trip. Orlando, Miami, Atlanta, Washington again, Memphis, and Phoenix to end the month. So in total, that's anywhere from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, seven to nine games he could possibly play in March, and then five in April. And you know they'd probably rest him like on a back-to-back or something like that. So, you know, you're talking about he'd probably be anywhere from like, you know, like what you said, 12 games. If he was at seven on the low end, right, he'd be plus five, he'd be around 12 games. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's the first time. Like I said, he's ramping up and stuff like that. So I don't think he's rushing back at all. They said he was, what, three weeks away about two weeks ago. So that seems about like right anyway. So. Yeah, they wouldn't bring him back unless he's one hundred and ten percent. So, yeah, gotta worry about that. So we already talked about what might possibly happen in the Denver game tonight, but then for the Clippers game at home, we have our stars back. You got Denver later in the week, and then Milwaukee. What do you think? We're getting some wins this week, right? Oh yeah, for sure. At least two. At least two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you know, there there you guys have it. You know, I, I honestly, I want them to keep the two because I always just like having the best seed. But um, I was thinking about it and I actually would not like be that upset from a narrative purpose if they fell to three because you'd likely play Denver in the first round. I don't have any problems with Steph beating the guy who everyone is saying is, you know... <laughs> the best player in the world right now um and especially if they get michael porter jr and murray back so i don't have to hear excuses and then um they'd play memphis probably in the second round they wouldn't have home court but they'd have memphis in the second round which i'm okay with and then hopefully we'd all get our western conference matchup with the suns and warriors so um, for narrative pers- purposes, if that's a path to the finals, I don't mind it, but um, I still want us to get the second seed. And I think it's possible. I think it's going to, I think the game we play versus Memphis later in the season is what's going to determine it. I think they're going to be back and forth between two and three for the remainder of the season. For sure. I agree. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, there you guys have it as you you see, Justin is great. That's why I have him on. Tap in to hear us regularly every Wednesday on Golden Spaces. Um, I, most of you are probably on Twitter who listen to me, but if you're not, join Twitter so you can hop into our spaces. But if not, like I said, we're going to turn it into a podcast. So every Wednesday, 7 p.m., a check-in on the dubs. And um, thank you so much for listening. 
follow, subscribe, leave a review. Um, until next time, take care, y'all. Peace.